Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. It's great to be with you. Always great to be with the church family on the Lord's Day, and uh, I need it, and uh, it's great. Uh, God uses you to bless me, and I'm praying that he uh, does good things with us in the remainder of this hour. It it seems... uh, to me that that fairly frequently across the last six months, there have been times where I've come to you and said, uh, I think the Lord has led us to hit the brakes on on what we've been doing for a few minutes or for a Sunday and address an issue. And this is one of those days. Uh, I want to talk to you about the uh, facing the issue of abortion. And let me say right up front, I do so with fear and trembling, not fear over addressing the issue. In fact, I'm, I'm, I read the, the call of Jeremiah as a prayer every Sunday when I'm walking across the, uh, the campus and apply it to my own life. And uh, uh, there, there's, a, there's a time where God says, uh, get yourself ready, he said to Jeremiah, and, and I apply it to me. Brad, it says, get yourself ready, stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you. <laughs> so I'm way more afraid of God than I am you. So I, people say, I'm, I'm not afraid to deal with any issue that he deals with in the scriptures. And, um, uh, you know, so there's nothing heroic about anything like that. It's just what God calls pastors to do. So I'm not hesitant to talk about this issue. Uh, I'm hesitant, uh, I, I want to make sure that you know of the compassion of the Lord and the compassion of my own heart and the compassion of our church uh, toward uh, all of you here who have been touched by the issue of abortion. Maybe you're one of the many men in our church family who encouraged their, uh, their girlfriends in the past uh, or even demanded that they get an abortion, and we've been you've been walking with that guilt. Uh, many of us men have that. Maybe you're uh, a woman here, and you have had an abortion. Um, you you thought it was a fine thing, an okay thing to do, but then you've suffered from that. That's a terrible burden, and uh, I, I want you to know that uh, not all of us here have had moral or ethical or spiritual failures in that in that area with uh, abortion but we've all we have all had incredible moral failures in our lives in other areas and we we know what that can do to us and how desperately we needed the grace and the forgiveness and the cleansing of Christ and how amazing and wonderful it is and uh, so immediately if if you have pain about how abortion has touched you and you have been involved with that in the past, you're at a good place. Uh, This is a place where people get redeemed and forgiven and healed by the power of the gospel in Christ. That's why we love him so much and uh, why we love each other is we know how easy it is to um, fall off the path and how wonderful it is to be restored Uh, No matter where you've been or what you've done, and no matter how other people may have shamed you, our God, the God of the Bible, describes himself in the book of Isaiah uh, this way. He says, uh, turn to me and with open arms I will welcome you back. 
Now, I like that. That's the, that's the God I believe you've been looking for your whole life. And he s- describes himself in the scriptures. So I want to say that right up front. But I also want to begin with a story. In the late 1890s, I'm not sure of the year, in a little rural community uh, in east-central Alabama, over in the region of, of uh, Jacksonville and Piedmont and, and the suburbs of Piedmont, Alabama. If you've ever been there, you know that's way out. Rabbit Town and Roy Webb and um, Hoax Bluff. And Am I hitting? Anybody know where I'm talking about? Oh, there, that's that. Yep, yep. What? Yep, yep. There was a uh, young single mom, never married, had already had three daughters out of wedlock, who found herself expecting another child. Now, abortion was not readily available that day, in that day, but it was available. And uh, she was in a small community where everybody knew everybody, and they knew her, and uh, knew about her life, and life was already hard for her for a lot of reasons. And she pondered what to do, and uh, she decided to keep this baby. And that baby was my grandfather. And I'm here today because she made the right choice. There's a bunch of you in this room are here today because somebody made the right choice in a difficult situation. I never knew my great-grandmother. She died really a young woman after having lived a hard life. My, my dad, when he was still living, one day uh, we got in his pickup truck and, and drove back over to that back side of that community. There's a little church back over there in the Goshen community. Um, and uh, back side of that cemetery is her, we, we found her grave. And uh, I want to see her someday and tell her thanks. Tell her thanks. How does God relate, how does God deal with the issue of abortion? You know, there's, evil shows up in this world and it always causes suffering. Sometimes it's the evil in our own hearts as human beings that's unredeemed and we create a lot of our own suffering. The evil that we find in our anti-God culture and world thought and value system causes much human suffering. Uh, The evil from the spiritual forces of darkness that the Bible describes who are active in this world seeking to bring suffering, uh, they bring suffering as well. Well, what does God do when evil shows up? I touched on this subject a few weeks ago after the shooting in Florida. I want to come back to the issue of evil as it relates to abortion in our, in our lives as individuals and in our culture. Our church is out of the Christian tradition that tends to uh, focus primarily on a very individualistic faith. You, I mean, it's out of our culture that the old song, Me and Jesus, got a good thing going. You know, me and, you may want to sing that. We had the right people up here to sing that. It's a Nashville kind of tune. But it's me and Jesus, just me and Jesus, very individualistic. And I don't want to abandon that because I, 
we, we do believe in a very personal faith, a personal Savior, a God who knows us by name, knows the hairs on our head, and some of us that's not too hard to know any longer. But uh, uh, we, we, we believe in that. But, but he is also a God who relates to uh, nations and cultures and societies. And so I want to talk about this issue uh, from God's perspective uh, at both of those levels. And I want to back up and talk about uh, kind of the national level. We just sang, the last song we sang is we, we heralded the goodness of God. And when we use the word good, we use it to mean uh, a lot of different ways. I, like last night I came in, it had been a hard day, I officiated the funeral service of another family member uh, out in, in West Georgia and got home late and I needed some comfort food and I got out the chocolate ice cream and it was good, good, yes, good. But I meant that a little bit differently from what we were singing about. God. I mean, it tasted good. It felt good. It was, a, it was nice. It was enjoyable. It was satisfying. Now, our God is good in that he is satisfying. He satisfies our, our soul. But we also use the word good to mean morally, ethically good. We speak in terms of ethics and, and um, morality as there is good and there is evil. There is good and there is bad. Uh, we just sang about the goodness of God. And primarily when the Bible speaks, the word of God speaks about our great God and his character and says that he is good, it means that he is pure, he is holy, he is uh, light and in him is no darkness at all. God is never evil. Uh, we can never ascribe to him uh, evil or uh, uh, un- he, uh, being unjust. He is completely righteous. All of his judgments are true and right and good. He is a good, good God. And because God, we believe God exists, that he is also the standard for goodness. He, is the, he himself is the standard for what is moral, what is right, what is good. Because we believe God exists, we believe good and evil exist. There are some things that are good and there are some things that are not good. Now, I have uh, friends and acquaintances who are um, not believers in in God and and they ask the question sometimes, well, but don't you Christians, can, we believe that a person can be good without God. In other words, can, a, can, a, can an atheist or someone who is agnostic, doesn't know about these things, can they be morally good? Sure. Sure. I mean, some of the, some of the most moral people I know are unbelievers. Um, I just don't think you can justify it. You can't justify your goodness apart from the existence of God. For unless there is an objective standard for goodness, then there is no such thing as right and wrong. They're just personal preference. Because if, if there is no God, you say, well, this, this is good. I don't say, who, you have to say, who, who says? I say, well, I say so. Well, I say it's not good. So, you can't justify morality apart from the existence of God. I think there's some fine people who don't believe in God. They just don't think they can justify it. Now, I hope they stay fine and good. Uh, You just can't can't, uh, do that. Uh, 
But we believe that there is a, an objective um, standard of right and wrong, and it is the character of God himself, and his will and his ways is revealed in the scriptures. So if God is good and he is just, how does he respond to evil? And let's just talk about the, um, the evil of a nation. Let me, let me illustrate it this way by taking you back 3,500 to 4,000 years uh, somewhere uh, back there to what we now know of as the Holy Land or Canaan as it was known in those days. And uh, back in those days there were seven or eight small nations that occupied uh, the region that we call the Holy Land today. They were, the Bible tells us, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Hittites, uh, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And uh, they occupied what was then called Canaan for at least 400 years. The same 400 years that the children of Israel were enslaved to the Egyptians down in Egypt. These were the people who occupied what we would know as the promised land or Canaan at the time. And they were evil as a culture, as nations. They were evil and they did evil things. The primary thing that they did that caused much suffering for four centuries was that they, as a practice, they burned their children Uh, in fire on the altars of their false gods as an act of worship. The common practice, the common practice of the worship of Molech and Baal and the other primary false gods of the Canaanites was child sacrifice. And the practice was that uh, the firstborn child in every family was taken to the pagan altar and put in the fire and burned to death, burned to death in order to, for an uh, uh, atonement for sin and to secure the favor of these false gods. Now, the families of these nations practiced this horrible sin for at least 400 years, at least 400 years that we know of uh, according to biblical history. And can you imagine seven or eight small nations full of families all sacrificing their firstborn children in the fires on the altars of these four these false gods for 400 years. How many innocent babies might that have been? I mean, conservatively, that would have been hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. And not only that, they called it worship. Worship. And they celebrated when they did this. And they, they, what was bad, they called good. What was bad they called good. And they violently and steadfastly opposed the God of the Hebrews and his kingdom, the God of the Bible, for at least 400 years, for at least four centuries. Now let me ask you a question. Some of you, as you have read the scriptures and you've read the account of the Exodus and then finally of Joshua leading the children of Israel across the Jordan to occupy Canaan and God saying, I want you to occupy uh, this nation and I want you to eliminate all the people who live here. And you thought, how horrible. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ask, why would God do that? Here's why. What do you think should happen to people who intentionally for 400 years sacrificed hundreds of thousands of children in the fire and called it good and called it right 
and called it righteous and called it uh, worship. Uh, uh, celebrated it, called it religion, called it the law of the land and a blessing. What do you think? What do you think should happen? Now you're being pretty quiet here because you know where I'm headed, don't you? I said, "Well, I don't want to be too rough on them because it sounds a lot like us." Yeah, yeah. But God, in His mercy, and God in His grace, and His love for the Canaanites, hoping that they would repent and turn from their wicked ways waited centuries as he called out to them to repent and come worship him, the true God, and change their wicked ways because he desired for them uh, to be saved. All the while, they were filling up their own cups of destruction by their own sinful practice and behavior. You see, God is good and he is just. He is also incredibly patient with moral and spiritual foul-ups just like you and me. He's incredibly patient. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. He, he was very patient, much more patient than you would have been if you were God over those Canaanites. How long would you let them go? And see, that's why you say, I've been living my life the way I want to, and God, nothing's ever gone on with me. Why? God's patient with you. You, you hadn't gone 400 years yet. He is hoping out of his great love and compassion for you that you will repent of your own sin and turn to him and surrender to him as Lord and Savior of your life. That's what he's doing. He is incredibly, incredibly patient. But God finally, when it came to the Canaanites, said, enough. Enough. God is incredibly patient without, about bringing judgment, but you can get him there. And nations can get him there. And history tells us that nations have got him there to where he finally ultimately realized they're never going to turn. They're never going to repent. This is it. Sin has to be atoned for. And it will be atoned for. And so God in his goodness and in his justice and in his righteousness dedicated the Canaanites to destruction at the hands of the invading Israeli army. See, not only was he blessing the Israelites by fulfilling a promise and giving them a land of their own at that time, he was, he was doing, he, God's very efficient. He was also passing judgment on people who had worn him down to the nub with his patience. They were not going to uh, repent and change. And so he was going to remove those nations from humanity just like a good surgeon will remove a cancerous tumor from your body just so that it will not infect and destroy your entire being. The Canaanites had become a spiritual and moral cancer on the human race. And he knew if I don't remove them from human, the human race, they're going to infect the rest of the crowd and the whole world will be destroyed. And so in his goodness, he removed them. He removed them because God is good. And when evil comes, he punishes it in good and right and just ways. And because God is a good God, I think therefore... We, the citizens of the United States of America, should probably be a little nervous. As a nation, let's just talk about as a nation. 
Because since 1973, we have sacrificed over 60 million children on the altars of the hospitals and abortion clinics of our land. 60 million. 60 million. Now, I know, you know, I know we like to sing God bless America, and every time every president that we've had in my lifetime, when they end a talk, they say, and, you know, God bless you and may God bless America. I think of the old mountain preacher, Vance Havner, who used to say when he'd hear that, well, if America would just get blessable, God would wear us out. You want God bless us regardless of our ignoring him, bless us regardless of our sin, bless us regardless of our, of our evil practices as a culture. Yee. What kind of God do you think he is? What kind of fool do you think God is? We have done so all the while celebrating it like it's a good thing. Marched in the streets proclaiming it a God-given right. God-given right. Elected our officials based on the assurance that they would protect this right to practice this religion of death and child abuse. It's evil. It's evil. He said, well, what do you think? You think God's going to judge us? Okay, now we're getting over into thus saith Keith, not thus saith the Lord here. But I, I am going to tell you what I think. As I pondered this a long time, a lot of years, I think we're already under the judgment of God as a culture. What do you mean? Well, this national sin may be its own judgment. For, you know, God, all through the teaching of Scripture, God says that the sin, our sin as individuals or as families or as cult, communities or cultures or a nation, our sin becomes its own punishment. I mean, the reason that God will come to us and say, don't, 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 don't do this. He's saying, don't hurt yourself. It's like uh, when your dad would say, don't play touch football in the highway. Why? Does he not want you to have a good time? No, you'll get run over. Well, if we go play anyway, you get run over. Your, your disobedience became its own punishment. God, your dad didn't want that. God doesn't want that. So he says, no, 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 don't, don't go this way. These ways are harmful. They become their own punishment. I mean, in the book of Proverbs, he says it this way. Proverbs says, he who digs a pit will fall in it. It says, he who sets a trap for his neighbor will be caught in his own trap. If you'll remember the story of the Exodus, uh, Moses goes up on, on the mountain to meet with God and receive his commandments. And as he's coming down the mountain, he hears a big party going on among the, 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 the nation of Israel. He's been up there 40 days. They bailed on Moses and, and God said, well, what happened to that Moses guy? We don't know where he's gone. What's happened to him? They came to Aaron, the priest, and said, we need a God to worship that we can see. He goes right back to idol worship, takes all their gold, melts it, builds a go- beautiful golden calf, and everybody's partying, doing all this. The Bible kind of covers all this pagan. They're having all kind of wild stuff going on, calling it worshiping this golden calf Moses comes down and among other things he shuts down the party 
And then he has them take that golden calf and grind it into powder. Read it yourself. And then they make some, he puts it in water and makes everybody drink it. See, the sin became their own punishment. There's a principle all through Scripture. I fear that that's where we are with this national sin. Just imagine, what if, what if the consequences of our own sin since 1973, imagine last year it's estimated that 595,690 of us died of cancer. What if those of us who died of cancer last year did so because the young medical researcher who would have discovered the cure isn't here because we aborted her in 1974. I mean, let's go back to 9-11. What if the World Trade Center towers fell and thousands lost their lives on that day and the world was changed forever for the worse because the young FBI agent who would have discovered the plot of the attack and thwarted it wasn't here because we aborted him in 1975. What if the Great Recession of, of 2000, end of 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, where all of us lost our retirement, now we're all figuring out how we can stay healthy enough to work in, way into our 70s so we can retire for a couple of days before we go to heaven. I mean, what if that great recession came because the young men and young women, uh, the, the bright men and women who would have been working for the uh, agency that regulates the home lending practices, would, uh, who would have noticed our, our unwise and our greedy practices, they weren't there because we aborted them in the late 70s. So, Pastor, you don't know all that. Nope. No, I don't know all that. It sure sounds fishy to me I mean what if Robert I've I've been reading with interest uh, and noticing over the last five years there's a very quiet conversation going on among the presidents of the Christian seminaries around the United States of America and here you you, you teach in a seminary you're going to know what I'm about to say there is a an ongoing discussion about the uh, the lack of of young adults preparing to be pastors of churches, and there is a predicted shortage of pastors that have enough pastors. I mean, when I get on out of here, in my, the next generation, there's a shortage of people preparing for the ministry. Uh, not enough. They're afraid not going to be enough pastors to lead the churches that already exist in the United States of America, in North America. What if that's so? Because we aborted about a hundred thousand of those guys. In, in the late 70s and early 80s. What if your daughter never comes to faith in Jesus and lives a hard life apart from God in this life and then steps into a Christless eternity? What if your daughter does that because the, the young children's minister who would have led her to Christ is not here because we aborted her in 1984? You just keep playing that out. I think we're already under the judgment of God and we brought it on ourselves. I think that's why God said, what are you? No, 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 no. Value life. Value these children. Have all the children you can. God says that the Christian worldview is one of openness to children. When people marry, you not only expect, but you are, you are open to the children that God would 
would give you. Uh, a report came out just this last week from the uh, U.S. Census Bureau that, that is projecting that by at uh, 2035, there will be more older adults in uh, the United States of America than children. It's because of our birth rate declining and because we keep aborting our own children. And that marks the death of a culture. I mean, hey, look, if you're just, like, if you're just completely self-centered like I am, I mean, don't you want somebody coming along behind you to take care of you when you're old as dirt and can't remember where to put your shoes? Well, we're, we're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. You see, the, the scriptures say um, that children are a gift from God. Not only to individual parents, but to a culture. To a culture. There are cities in our nation where already there are more dogs than children. Because dogs are treated like children. And grandchildren. Just, just help me a little bit. Don't ever introduce me to your grand dog. <laughs> I mean, that's not in the Bible. It's just a thing with me. But I hear it every now and then. I'm not going to say that's a grand dog. I'm not, just don't do it. Don't, don't elevate, I love pets. I love for you to have them and I don't, I don't have to take care of them. I love, no, I do love pets. I do love animals, but they're, they're pets and animals. They are not children. It's a strange culture when we start to treat our pets like they were our children. It's an odd thing. Now, so, and I don't, don't email me over that. <laughs> I get enough real legitimate, I get in trouble over legitimate stuff enough, but I, I'm not going to respond if I hurt your feeling about your dog. You know, cats are another thing. I'm not even sure they're biblical. <clears throat> I, you know, you've heard me tell, I think cats are part of the wimping of America. I, I do, and again, that's not in the Bible either. And I'm, just, I'm just being silly right, right now. But um, it's interesting when you study, let's talk about another matter. When you study the, the conversion rate to other world religions, if you study the number of people converting in North America to Islam and the number of people converting to Christianity, those rates are not changing. Yet the Muslim population in the Western world is growing and the Christian population is declining. Do you know why? Birth rate birth rate. If, if, if you want to spread the gospel, start having more kids. Start having more kids and stop this silly stuff. See, when I was in college and, and all, the, all the, 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 the guys started writing about, oh, we're going to overpopulate the world and, you know, the world's not going to be able to sustain us and so we've got to stop having so many kids, that's baloney. There's a Greek word for that in the Bible, baloney. It's not, it's not true. History has proven them wrong. It's proven them wrong. And so the only difference between the growth in the Muslim faith in the Western world and in the Christian faith is birth rate. Christians need to go back to having more kids. And um, I've even heard it said from time to time when couples would have more than three children, I've heard them described as being irresponsible. What is that about? What is that about? That's not, that's not God's worldview. Have a bunch of kids. I'm, hey, I'm done. It's easy for me to say, 
you know, I'm done. I'm, we're not having any more. And um, we're not, you know, we're, I'm done. But have, have children. Bless the world with them. And, uh, you know, so, you know, some of you might need to leave here today and get with it, you know, and start, <laughs> you know, which, man, I'm trying to help you out a little bit here. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be, we try to bless you all kind of ways uh, uh, here and a uh, little fun, but, but that's, that's a fact. That's a fact. Imagine for any culture, what is any country's most valuable resource? They're, they're people. The people, the most valuable natural resource in the United States of America is Americans. In Ethiopia, in Vietnam, in Spain, you pick the country, it doesn't matter. The most valuable resource to that country are the people, the citizens. And we have intentionally withdrawn 60 million brilliant minds, great hearts, hard-working, diligent hands that could have made this world a better place. We did that to ourselves. We did that to ourselves. I fear the judgment of God has already been upon us. And it's just the natural consequences of, as a culture, living apart from the will and the ways of God when it comes to this issue. Now... I want to shift gears a little bit to the individuals, back to the individuals here. Abortion causes great suffering not only to a culture, not only to the children who die, but also to the men and women who are involved with it. The great heartache and, and pain. I've never talked to a woman who had an abortion um, who did not deeply regret it. Now, that maybe that's just the luck of the draw. Maybe the next 15 women who have this conversation with me as a pastor will be completely different and say, hey, it was the greatest thing. It solved all my problems. It was great. Maybe, maybe. I, but I've never had one yet. I've never had one yet. Uh, a pastor friend of mine received this letter. He took the names out but sent me a copy. This is a letter he received from a woman in his church. Dear pastor, 20 years ago I had an abortion. I had to put my heart in the deep freeze in order not to be bothered by that act. But my heart has been thawing out for the last few years. As it gets warmer and more tender and more alive, my heart burns in pain for the child I killed. I wonder about her. I try to imagine her in heaven looking at me, and I hope she can forgive me on that day. I haven't forgiven myself yet, even though I'm told God will forgive me. Now, he went on to tell her, oh, yes, he will, and he's eager to do so. And he'll forgive you and me too. Uh, another pastor friend of mine sent me a copy of a letter he received from a man in his church when uh, he was going to speak on this issue. And here's, he took the names out, just sent me the content. Here's what it said. Dear Pastor, when I heard you were going to speak on the topic of abortion, I just knew that I had to write to you. This topic has crippled me more than any other subject. Right out of high school, I got my girlfriend pregnant. I insisted that my girlfriend get an abortion. There's a hundred reasons that I could give why I took the actions that I did, but they would all be lies. I settled for the quick fix, the easy way of avoiding the embarrassment of being found out. And you know what? That was a lie too. Yes, 
It avoided some embarrassment, but it was replaced by a different type of pain, the pain of remorse. Each spring when life is starting to bloom, there is a renewed pain that my child would be adding another year, playing ball and doing things a nine-year-old would do. A month ago, I was coming home from work when I saw a little league team practicing. I stopped to watch for a little while, but I quickly needed to leave because I began to cry like a baby. Sure, abortion is the quick fix, but you will never hear in one of those clinics about the long-term effects. Let's face it, I ended the life of my own offspring. Look at me. God is good and He is loving and He wants to spare men and women like you and me the pain, the, the, the pain, the, the self-inflicted pain that abortion brings. He doesn't want this for you. He has better for you. And if you already have the pain, then He wants to grant you grace and forgiveness and cleansing and healing from the scars on your soul. And he will. And he will. Listen to this. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. He says, I will remember their sin no more. That means you could come to God into his presence when you leave this world and you say, Lord, you know, do you remember when I, I pressured my girlfriend to have that abortion? And he'll look at you and say, what? I don't believe I remember that. He forget, he, not that he can't remember, he just says, I will remember your sin. You come to me. Call to me and I will answer you. Come to me in need, say, in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness and cleansing. And with open arms I will welcome you back. He says in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. He says, come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. You can be healed of the scars on your soul. You can be renewed and have the great freedom of never having to worry about your past again by coming to Christ with it. And we're going to do that now because God's greatest response to evil was when he decided, I'm going to step out of heaven and come to earth in the form of a man, Jesus and I love these people so much. He loves you so much. He, he, he thinks about you all the time. And he could not bear the thought of you having to atone for your own sin. And, and so he decided, no, 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 I'll do it for them. I'm going to be just. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to judge sin. Here's the punishment for all this sin. And oh, by the way, you step out of the way. I'm going to step down here and I'm going to pay the price myself. He was your substitute. He died on the cross for your sins, in your place, for my sins, in my place, making full payment, taking, uh, taking the full judgment on sin, satisfying his very own demands for judgment. He wrote the check to himself. He paid the price. 
so that moral and spiritual foul-ups, just like you and me, could go scot-free if we put our trust in him and gave ourselves to him, admitting that we needed him. Now, that's the best deal. That's the best deal there is. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that now. We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.